Hands off, Broussard, stretch play, left side, cuts inside of man, down the sideline he goes, sidestep to the defender at the 25, oh, he's Houdini, spins to the 20, and he's down inside the 20. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio, Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Finally, we have a football game to talk about. I'm going to be joined by forever buff Ryan Miller, the last five-star recruit from the state of Colorado to talk about the season opening win over UNC 35-7. to The Buffaloes start out 1-0. And then football analyst William Gardner is going to join me on the show as well. And we have the mailbag. Let's not waste any time and let's get right into our conversation with Ryan Miller. Ryan, it's... Uh, Exciting to catch up with you. You're, you're one of my favorite players that I've covered up at CU, Colorado through and through. Uh, it sounds like life is treating you pretty well these days. Yeah, absolutely, Adam. Uh, it's great to talk to you again. It's just fun to kind of rekindle those old relationships. I appreciate you guys always saying nice things about me and taking care of me. So it's good to good to be back on the air with you. Yeah, first off, what were your expectations for CU football going into the season opener against UNC and how did the game kind of match up or didn't match up with, with those expectations that you had? You know, coming off of this, this year, or I guess last year with limited games, fans, quarantine, COVID, all of that. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I really didn't know what to expect. Um, you know, with, with Katie or Carl Durrell having a new or a full season uh, with these guys or full off season and now a full schedule to look forward to instead of, you know, six games coming off coach of the year, uh, Pac-12 coach of the year. And a really, I think, surprising season um, last year. This was kind of unknown going in. A lot of grad transfers coming into um, <laughs> it's kind of a crapshoot. I um so I didn't have ter- too many expectations really watching the game. I just wanted to see cohesion. Um, what really surprised me was this four running back rotation. I don't know if it was a rotation per se, but I'm a little – that makes me a little uneasy going forward. Um, having that like one-two punch is good, you know, maybe three, four. Now I'm starting to get a little, you know – what what's who's going to be your back who's going to get the carries in practice who's going to establish the cohesion and with the line and you know and lewis that's i need a little bit more understanding of that before i can really put my cards down on that one um but expectations wise i thought we were going to do well against unc mccaffrey's a phenomenal coach anybody in colorado kind of knows his his background bringing his son in uh back from Michigan with that that level of competition, you, you never know what you're going to get. And then them not playing last year as well, it was, again, up in the air. So I'm glad to see we got the win. I think it's about as ugly as a winner I've seen coming out of, out of CU, but we'll take it. I'll take it. Carl Drell talked about leading up to the season opener, hey, we don't know what UNC is going to throw at us. Yeah, there's only so much Valor Christian tape we're going to break down because obviously they're going to do things a little bit differently <laughs> on the on the college level. They come out defensively with a three three five. Darrell said that that kind of threw us off early. They did face a similar scheme 
when San Diego State came out here last year. Uh, so it, he talked about that being a, a tough thing to face early in the game. They, they made adjustments at halftime and did better against that. Did you ever go up against a three-three-five in your playing career? And what, just what are the challenges of going against that? It's a kind of a different look than you're going to see against most teams. You know, especially well, how does that look when you're an offensive lineman out there, you know, and you see three down linemen in front of you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's not a normal base defense, right? And if you're going to run that for the majority of the game, whatever rules you, you make as an offensive line or as an offense, you've got to stick to it. Uh, what we always did was we would make one of those jack, or excuse me, one of those linebackers a jack or a star or a buck, which is just making one of those linebackers the fourth D lineman. And you treat it as sort of a, an even front or an over front or, or an, even a, you know, kind of an under front that just, you've just got to know who that fourth guy is. Um, I think it's why we had as much set success in the run game as we did. I mean, that's a lot of space that you've got to fill as a defense. And unless you're coming down in there and really putting people in the box, it's, you can get guys up to second level really easy with that. So I think that helped the run game quite a bit. Um, passing game, they're covering a lot more, a lot more of the field. I wish we would have had a little bit more check downs and hot routes and smokes. Um, you know, but for what they threw at us, I thought they made really good adjustments with it. Um, most of the time we had two guys on D linemen running the ball, which is what we need to have in those kinds of situations, and then just get off on the second level. I think we had one or two 30-yard-plus runs, and when you've only got six guys in the front and you can get five offensive linemen plus a, you know, a halfback or a fullback making one miss into the secondary you're, you're going to get good plays like that, or at least you should. Um, and that kind of ties into like, you know, the, the what, 280 yards on the ground. I thought it was what it was around that plus or minus. Yeah. Time. 281. Um, okay. So I would expect a very good run game against a defense that plays like that, especially if you're going to play, you know, a six man on the front with that tight end where you've got double teams on guys. And that's, I don't want to get pessimistic here because it was, it's good to have that cohesion. It's good to get double teamed, but this is UNC we're talking about here. And no, I don't want to you know take away from UNC. They're a good team. I think they'll do really well this year with this system that McCaffrey's got them in, but these are guys that are try hard kids. When they start playing against some monsters and some guys that can take on one, two guys and really hold them down there. It, this, it's going to be a come to Jesus moment. I think. Um, so that was, uh, you know, it could be a little bit of a Columbine high school mentality of me that just will never leave. <laughs> but if you want to be successful in the run, you got to do it against nine in the box, plain and simple. Um, one-on-one -on -one battles have to be won. You've got to hit, hit the, the gaps correctly. And I need, I need more of that. That's, I was wishing, wishing I would see a little bit more of the, a really dominant run blocking. This one was more so filling space than it was truly taking care of the guy in front of you. I do have to give some clout um, to Stacks, number 33 from Cherry Creek. Uh, he came in at some fullback roles and he got it done. So props to you, kid, because that was awesome to watch. 
And that's where I really saw, you know, guys winning was, excuse me, where I saw him win was on those one-on-one right off the, the end of the line of scrimmage in those goal line situations. Um, I was thrilled to see that, that like a true fullback really bury his face into these linebackers and get it done. So, yeah. You, you, <laughs> yeah. you talked about the depth of this running backs group and wanting to see a little bit more clarity there going forward. Uh, this is the deepest group of backs they've had since 2002. I don't think I'm going out on a limb talking about that. Uh, but when, when you have a Jarek Broussard and an Alex Fontenot, guys that are that talented, what, what does that do for you as an offensive lineman? Obviously, your job is not going to get a lot of credit. People are going to notice when you miss a block or get penalized. Is, is there a different mentality you have as an offensive line group when you have that much talent at running back as opposed to, you know, maybe maybe you, you just don't have a whole lot of talent in that room. Is it harder to do your job? Uh, when that's the case. Well, it definitely doesn't make it harder to have two, shoot, four talented backs like that. Um, if you know that you've got guys that can break an arm tackle or really run through a guy, and it's not one, it's not two, it's you know potentially three, maybe even four guys, like that's it's definitely a confidence boost. However, you build relationships with these guys and there's only so many reps you can get in practice. There's only so many series that each one of these guys is going to get into a game. So when you're coming down there, who's going to be the hot hand, um, the two back rotation. I really like, you know, just to get, get somebody some rest. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to, to really go into this with, with that many backs. Um, but as far as no line goes, if you've got a guy that, you know, hits the hole uh, this sort of way and he you can put a linebacker onto or he excuse me, he can put a linebacker onto your block for you. I know that sounds kind of weird unless you've played the position, but <clears throat> when that running back takes a step and does his head nod or whatever his counter step is and that linebacker moves and you know that as an offensive line, you can get to that spot faster. Um and I'll touch on this a little bit more later on, but it it really makes you play with more cohesion and understanding when you've got a smaller, you know, nucleic group of guys that you can trust. So it, it absolutely helps the offensive line. Uh, it'll be fun to watch going forward to see, you know, obviously some very, very talented backs. Hagan's going to do a great job and continues to do a great job with these guys. Uh, it's it's without a doubt fun to watch going forward. One of our subscribers, Arjack3, had a question for you. His question was, as a former exceptional buff, can Ryan Miller give any insight into this whole question of teams putting in vanilla offenses for week one? Do football teams hold back significantly so as not to reveal too much when facing a lower division opponent? (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. Um, I definitely feel former some days. You know, football is going to be football, whether it's zone, ISO, counter, pass game, run game. You've pretty much got your base bread and butter stuff. Um, And in my opinion, where teams get successful is they have a a base playbook, right? Six to 12 plays of, of a style whether it's their zone, the power, you know, I, something that's really their identity. And when you are able to run 
you know, zone left or zone right so many times into a game and you get the defense lulled to sleep, all you do is change one little part of that, you know, vanilla play and you've got a cutback or you've got a run screen or you've got a, uh, a quick smoke route that you can run that's going to make a whole lot of second half adjustments very important or it's going to make somebody play you know, in two positions that they don't need to be in because they don't know what play is coming. But you can't get that done unless you really establish a base package or a bread and butter. I don't think they were holding too much back. And I don't think you should hold back. You want to get what you're good at and continue to practice and practice and practice that. So if we can establish what our identity is in the run game and the pass game and just beat it down and then slowly you know, progressively add one or two things, you know, a game or a practice to to make this one play still the base play, but with four or five different variations. Uh, that's what makes teams very successful is this play looks like that play. Um, this formation looks like that formation. And then all of a sudden, either you're running the same thing or different things. Uh, but that's the chess game behind coaching where you get these O&D coordinators trying to mirror this and mirror that and smoke and mirrors on on that play and really it's just zone you just don't know if you're running it from a five man from from a six man or a, you know a deuce or or trips look it's uh that's the mind game that comes in there so i don't to answer uh r jack three um i don't think it's too significant you know when when teams show your whole offense because so much can change week to week based off of one thing or the other. Got another question from a Buff Stampede subscriber. Farhang wanted to get your thoughts on the play of the offensive line from that opener. Yeah. So, again, you know, this is a little bit I touched on earlier. Um, I didn't grade every single kid on the offensive line. I didn't go back and watch every play for his play. But out the gate, I did not see a UNC team that was – physically and emotionally defeated. Um, they got beat, but they weren't, they weren't physically exhausted. Uh, I need more nasty out of the O-line. It was, it was mediocre. It was good. You know, Simons were Simons for the most part looked like kids did what they were supposed to do, but I miss seeing guys throttle down and destroy someone. Um, I need a little bit more leadership. I don't care. If it's a senior, I don't care if it's a freshman, you know, a young kid, left tackle, Jake Wiley. <clears throat> but I need to see more 50 to 79 numbered jerseys down the field after they have just crushed somebody. Um, you know, the longer we do this, I am hard on the O-line because that's where I, you know, that's where I churn butter. That was, that was me. Um, the run game, we had hats on hats. I will give credit for the passing game. Um, a three-three-five is a difficult blitz, blitz package, especially when you don't you haven't practiced against it. I think they gave up two sacks in what I would consider fifteen pass attempts, and then five actual true rushing. Excuse, excuse me, five true pass rush options. Um, and for me, that's a third and seven plus out of a sixty-four total plays of offense. Uh, no holding calls, no pre-snap penalties. That is expected but it is excellent. Um, and not a lot of credit goes out to the big guys for that. But if we can have games where sacks are limited, um, 
penalties are are very small. And again, we're talking about the O line here. The whole multiple penalties, you know, 10, 12, was it twelve penalties? Can't have that. That's we just we cannot have that. Um, but going back to that true passing scenario, um, no sacks in those scenaros. It, it's it, I'll give him credit for that. Uh, but Lewis is also athletic, and there were a lot of stuff where he was on the run. I don't know what the total pressures were, uh, but he made a couple of throws out of the pocket. And all in all, I'm gonna give him a a B minus if, okay. if I got to grade him like that. I, I need more nasty. I need more leadership. Plain and simple. Which current buff do you enjoy watching the most? Can't pick one guy. We've got so much talent on this team. On the defense side of it, Landman and Wells, and then Guy Thomas has got one of these styles of play that I think could be so disruptive for us. Uh, that I'm very excited to see how he matures and, and what kind of positions they throw him at. I think he's very versatile. He's very fast. He's extremely strong. And once Once he starts putting it all together, I think that kid's going to be a force to reckon with. Uh, and then on the offensive side of it, uh, Fontenot and Broussard, absolutely. And then I want to see how Jake Wiley matures. Awesome. Yeah, I, I've been covering CU longer than sometimes I like to admit because it uh, I'm definitely getting old. But <laughs> the student section has gotten a lot of criticism o- over these years. and but But they showed up on Friday night, and they were there loud more than a half an hour before the game it was a record turnout for them what type of impact does that have on you as a football player do do we overestimate or underestimate just the impact you know especially at Folsom where where the crowd's kind of on top of the field what what type of impact does it have when when a student section shows up and has that that type of rowdy atmosphere within the student section that's what makes college football so great is when you get, you know, those kind of kids with that sort of hormonal cheering and screaming and everything else going at once. Uh, on the offensive side of it, you you see you're going in on a drive, you got this cheering after every long run or anything like that. It definitely rejuvenates, or excuse me, rejuvenates you. And then on the defensive side of it, when it's third and long or they're in the red zone and your ears are just thumping due to crowd noise, that's such a cool feeling to be a part of. And anybody that's ever been in the stands when they're pulling out the keys or coming up on a red zone and they've got to call a timeout or you get a false start, it just invigorates the whole team. Um, I definitely don't think it's underrated. It was awesome to have that many folks at Folsom. Um, it's, and it's a special venue, plain and simple. So when you get it filled and when you get these kids back involved in it, it feeds off each other. And I think that can help breed success and, and really, really help out. Up the road in Fort Collins, things didn't go as well on Friday night. CSU fell to South Dakota State. What are your feelings on CSU? I think you played them every year. You you were in Boulder. Did that feel like a rivalry, a true rivalry when you were playing the Rams? Do you like that Rocky Mountain showdown to be played every year? Or do you kind of like the way it is now where you actually get some breaks in there and you don't have, you don't play them every year? You know, it, it's a... It's an odd question and an interesting one. Um, I I truly believe that CSU is not the same team when they play Colorado. And 
they they're a different team when they're playing in their own conference and against anybody else. But when when CSU and CU line up against each other, you're going to get the best out of CSU. Um, it's fun for the state of Colorado. It no questions about that at all. Um, I love playing in it. It's cool to go play at Mile High or Invesco Sports Authority in Power Field. I don't even know what it is anymore. Um, but it's 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 fun to see. It's good to be part of that rivalry. I want all of these teams to succeed in Colorado, whether it's CSU Pueblo, UNC Air Force, you know, Colorado State, even as long as they're not playing Boulder. But I think it's very important. You know that that you see some of the in-state versus in-state, just for the fans and for the state of Colorado. And I think it's even important for the players to understand that that there's also you know some good teams in Colorado. I think back to the Air Force game last year and how much success they had. I don't know if it's a springboard if you beat the in-state rival, but I know it definitely helps the morale. Um, I'm sad that it's not going to happen this year, but moving forward, I hope that does come back. It's it's an excellent thing to be a part of, even as a former alum and, and a former player. I've got one more question for you, Ryan. You, you don't get to be a, a five-star recruit and play college football and play in the NFL by eating kale every meal. So uh, you you, you got to be able to throw back a good meal. I threw it out to Twitter, not <laughs> and there was – I asked, what's the best breakfast spot in Boulder? And not surprisingly, the Buff and Village Coffee Shop were the two. They were kind of neck and neck with the most votes. If you were going to have breakfast in Boulder tomorrow, where, where are you going? That's my one-two punch, man. Uh, Village Coffee Shop, breakfast burrito with bacon, and then number two. But it is number two. I will pick the Village Coffee Shop okay. over the Buff. Um, the Olay. That Ole, the Olay uh, scramble or skillet uh, is a hundred percent one of my. It's it, I got to get it when I go up there. So, but it's you know, close. I think so, 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 but but Village Coffee Shop, you you're breaking the tie for me. That's number one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and it's also because I had such a good relationship um, with the folks at the Village Coffee Shop. You know, I I spent time at the Buff. But the Village Coffee Shop was where I could have been found more times than not when I was up in Boulder. So that's, awesome, Ryan. that's my tiebreaker is going to be Village Coffee Shop for sure. Well, I appreciate uh, catching up with you and uh, getting your insights. Uh, hopefully we can uh, do this again soon. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to talk to you again, bud. Joined on the line by William Gardner. It's good to have you back on. Uh, people enjoyed your contribution to the preview pod. Just want to get your overall takeaways from CU season opener. You know, watching it as it, as it was going on, I have to, it was frustrating, to be perfectly honest. But then thinking about it after the fact, I feel like the defense was pretty decent. They were at times dominant. They pretty much controlled the front, had a couple of drives that uh, <clears throat> were able to end one of those drives with an interception. And then they had, of course, the one drive for a catch for a touchdown. But I thought the defense looked okay. Um, <clears throat> I was super disappointed with the offense, although hard to be disappointed with that run game. I'm just, uh, I, we'll talk more about play selection and, and things like that, but uh, I'm concerned about the offense. Love the special teams. Wow. Uh, 
encouraged about the defense. A lot of some some people jumped out at me big time. Guy Thomas, he looked great. Nico Reed, man, nobody thought he was going to amount to much. He looked super limited time, of course. We got we go four deep at that running back spot. And then uh, there's some personnel ish questions, you know, like wondering why some guys were starting and quite frankly, wondering why they stayed in as long as they did when you saw what happened when they got replaced. So question marks, uh, I guess it's par for the course for a first game. I think I'd probably expect more when I'm playing uh, uh, so much of a lesser opponent, but it's the first game and uh, <clears throat> it's, it's, yeah, I'd just say it's the first game and they got a lot of work to do. I think you were kind of on the fence as to whether you felt good or bad about this CU team following that UNC opener. You probably felt a little better after watching Saturday's games with the Pac-12 teams, right? I think half the teams in the conference lost, and not to say that all six of those Pac-12 teams that lost a game were playing an opponent that's perceived to be as bad as UNC. Uh, but still, I mean, you win a game by thirty by 28 points, you're 1-0, I think after Saturday, again, if you were on the fence, it makes you feel a little bit better, right? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, one thing I, I was thinking about this, I've been following college football for 40 years, which kind of blows my mind on one sense. But uh, one thing I've learned is one game means nothing. You know, one result, any team can have a bad day, any team can have a good day. And one, so like, you know, you see, well, Minnesota almost beat Ohio State, which means they're almost as good as Ohio State. That's not necessarily the case. It, it means on that particular day they might be. So you look at those results and you think, I think everybody has a little, I guess I would put it like this, a little bit of a hangover from a COVID year, which was a strange year. You know, I, I think it was different to have fans in the stadium, which I think people probably thought that's not such a big deal. I think it really was. I just think it was a different set of circumstances this particular year than any other any other sort of season opener before. So, yeah, seeing that seeing those results from other Pac-12 teams does make me feel better. Um, you know, I think we'll talk about more of these things, but uh, it concerns me that our receivers were not more dominant against uh, really not a great secondary. But so, yeah, I think that's I, I think there's a lot of turmoil and almost anything could happen in this conference this year. Did what happened on Friday change any of your feeling about this team, the, the team, the, the feelings you had going into the season in terms of what your expectations were, or is it pretty much the same in terms of your expectations now as it was before Friday's game? Well, I think we talked in the preview about how these first two games to me are not going to tell me a whole lot. And I still kind of feel that way. I'm a little bit disappointed. We weren't more dominant on offense, but um I don't think I really learned anything from this game that changes my view. I would say there was a lot of young guys that really stepped out to me and a lot of guys that, that looked good to me to give me confidence for the future. By the same token, um, <clears throat> I have a lot of concerns about Darren Cheverini's offensive coordinator after that game. Um, but I would say it didn't change my outlook on things too much, to be honest with you. What were your thoughts uh, just with UNC overall? I mean, they were picked to finish last in the Big Sky Conference. Based on what you saw Friday, do you think this is a better team than last in the Big Sky, or is it hard to tell? Yeah, I think they're going to be better than last. And I, 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 I'm trying to 
decide exactly how to say it. I don't think they're a good team by any means. I don't think they'll finish in the top half of that conference at all. But I think they'll be better than some people thought. I don't think they're well coached. Um, they're not disciplined. Uh, they gave us our first touchdown, and they continued to make those same mistakes. Um, <clears throat> I, I think that they'll probably they'll win a few games in the conference, but I don't. I I think that they have a really good quarterback, a stellar quarterback for that particular level of football. And I would take him at CU to be perfectly honest with you. Um, beyond that, I didn't really see anything in terms of personnel. That there there weren't any players that jumped out at me. And there wasn't anything about their scheme or anything else either. Um, so I don't think that they're that great of a team, to be perfectly honest with you. They're probably a little bit better than what I thought they would be. But uh, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to go along with people to say, well, they're a lot better than I thought. I, I don't see that at all. I just, I just, I still think they're a sub 500 team, even at that level. Brendan Lewis, his performance is kind of the main talking point among the fan base. He did some nice things, extending some players with his legs. You saw that part of his game, which is his strength, but you also saw the downside. And I had told a couple of people in the press box before the game, I said, there's going to be a couple of throws that Brennan Lewis makes tonight that you're going to go, what in the world happened right there? And there was right. one of those with, with Arias. He was, he was wide open. You're going to have moments like that with Brennan Lewis as your starting quarterback. And you hope that he grows out of that. Right. Uh, I wouldn't say I was particularly surprised. I, I thought maybe it hit on another pass or two and, and get his stat total up a little bit. 102 yards passing doesn't really look good on paper against an FCS team. Just what were your overall thoughts? Uh, you know, I thought he's 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 super at extending plays and making plays with his legs. Uh, I know, you know, I was texting with Nips 13 from the board during the game and he was like, oh, offensive line. He, had, You know what? He had enough time. And there was lots of times when he was standing back there looking down the field, looking down the field. I wasn't able to get to the game because I couldn't get out of work early enough. So I had to watch it on TV. I could not see what he could see down there, which is one of the advantages of actually being at the game. You can sort of see what the receivers are doing in the secondary. So for me, it's hard to say, <clears throat> was he not able to see the field? Was he not able to find open guys? Um there's not a good, there's not a good answer to this because if he can't see open guys, that's a problem, but it may be youth and he grows out of it. If there were no open guys against UNC, that's a, that's a problem with the scheme and how this offense is, is written up. And that's a problem with the coaches and that's not going to change probably. So uh, I don't think there's anything about that game. Everybody wants to see that, that first got that first game be an all America Oh my God, this is, this is what we all hope for. But more often than not with a, with a freshman quarterback, that's not what you're going to see. So he uh, didn't hurt us. Um, I, I, you know, off the top of my head, I don't recall. We don't, we didn't get an interception. Did we? I don't think so. I don't think he threw any. Lewis did not throw a pick. No. Yeah. So, so that's good. You know, I mean, that's, that's where you want a young guy can really kill you is to throw those bad interceptions. There's only one pass I can remember that he forced into double coverage and actually bounced off the receiver's chest. Montana Lamonius uh, Craig, yeah, we had double yeah. coverage. He was trying to force right. it in there. Yeah. Right. Uh, right there down towards the goal line. And so uh, he didn't make bad mistakes, which, I, you know what, I'd rather have a quarterback be careful in that first game and try to force things and turn the ball over. So I'm encouraged by it. Uh, the only way to make a quarterback better is to get him out there against live competition because there's no, there's nothing in practice that's quite the same as having a defense that's trying to kill you. 
Yeah. You know, watching it from the press box, there were guys that Brandon Lewis missed. There were also some situations where guys weren't getting open. It was kind of a mixed bag in that sense. Uh, if you're going to criticize B. Lou for not making more plays, you also have to credit him for knowing when something wasn't there. A couple of times he did throw right. the ball away. And that that's, that's you know, believe it or not, a good sign for a young quarterback. I mean, watching college football yesterday, there was a young quarterback that tried to do a behind-the-back no-look pass. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, what are you doing? Like, Brendan Lewis, you could tell he'd, he'd been coached well in that right. sense. And, and I saw – yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. And he took that real – hard hit where you almost ran into the stairs. That's more of a product of Folsom Fields configuration than anything. Uh, you know, I don't think that was a dirty play on any level. Brandon Lewis was just barely made. It was kind of borderline whether he had gotten out of bounds at that point. Right. In um, other times he, he got down. So I, I thought he played smart football, which was a good sign. Again, it's not the flashy thing, but it's something that, mm-hmm. that you want to see from a guy that's starting his first game. And I thought he showed good football awareness in terms of, you know, when he when he was having trouble finding somebody downfield, he would get outside to tackle boxes when he and he would throw it so that when he when he did throw it, it's not a, a um, intentional grounding or something like that, that he really seemed to know where he was on the field. And he would get out there and he'd throw it out of bounds or what have you. So there wasn't a penalty as well. So there was encouraging things. He seems to really understand the game well. Um <clears throat> And I, it feels like guys play for him and he has good, good control of the, of the game. But it was interesting to watch a fifth year guy versus a first year guy. And there was a polish that came with McCaffrey, you know, like for example, he had one screenplay where um, I can't remember. I, I, th- I think it was, might've been, uh, I can't remember. One of our guys read it right from the bat and he just threw the ball right at the feet of the running back so that it both, it wouldn't be a intentional grounding or hit a, a line or lineman or what have you. And that's just sort of thing that comes with plan and plan time. We'll get that, I think from Brendan Lewis. So I, I feel pretty good about it. McCaffrey did have some bad throws in the game too. It's yeah. not like he played a perfect game by any stretch. Well, that interception in the end zone, that's as bad. Horrible throw. Yeah, yeah. Even, even on their final drive, he missed a wide open guy where Tyron Taylor kind of had a missed assignment and he had an open guy in the end zone, missed it there too. So right. we were talking before we hit record, uh, you'd kind of brought up Steve Amantes and the fact that he just never really showed that improvement throughout his career. Brendan Lewis, for him, it's all about making those steps this season, right? Uh, right. You don't want to see him get stagnant with his growth as a quarterback. And, and at this point, it's just hard to tell exactly how this is going to trend. But my guess, William, it's going to be an up and down season with Brennan Lewis, a quarterback. It's going to be two steps forward, one step back, I would imagine. There's going to be some games where he looks much better than he did on Friday night. And then there's going to be nights where he really struggles, I feel like, this season. Yeah, and I, and I and this is where I kind of wish we had a little more experienced offensive coordinator because it's really on the coaches for a guy in his first year to make a game plan that he can execute. And it doesn't ask him to do too many things. And certainly with the receivers and the running backs we have and the tight ends, frankly, which did not get used all that much. Um, that's something we should be able to do. And that's what I'll be watching for is for Shiverini and that offensive staff to give him a game plan that allows him to grow without asking him to be, you know, all pro quarterback. Until mop up time when they cleared out the benches there were eight different offensive linemen that, that saw real meaningful snaps on Friday. Do you think it's important that they get down to a set five as soon as possible, or could you see them continuing to rotate 
rotate there on the offensive line without it being too much of a negative? Well, I'm down to a set five after watching that game. I'm 100% clear in my mind who needs to be starting. And then when Phillip comes back, there'll be a, a set six. But uh, Max Ray needs to start that left tackle because the difference when he came in a left tackle was tremendous. It was, it was, you know, I watched the offensive line. Nobody else probably does. But it was a shocking to me how much different. I, I texted Nippies 13. I said, why in the heck is this guy sitting on the sidelines? What the heck? And then the other thing, the other the other guy who made a huge difference was uh, Casey Roddick has got to be that right guard. You know, I love Cannon Ray, but Casey Roddick was mauling guys out there. Um, <clears throat> Purcell and, and Lytle, I thought they both looked really good. Um, Coach had some struggles, but, you know, he's a steady guy and he'll be fine. So to me, it seems very clear that going into the next game, our starting five would be Max left to right. Max Ray, Kari Kutch, uh, Colby Purcell, Casey Roddick, and uh, Chance Lytle. I would feel very good about that starting five next week and moving on beyond then because when those five got in, and I'd have to go back and watch it again to see exactly when, but it felt it felt like when those guys were the five, the run game really started to click. And especially there was a series down there uh, on on the in the end zone I want to say, well, I can't remember all those backs had a touchdown, so I can't remember which one, but there was one series down there where Lytle and Roddick were just dominant and we ran over the right side to get that touchdown. So that's my starting five. And, and I think it is important to get down to your top five guys and play them as much as possible because they got to have some um, chemistry with each other and do the line calls and, and pick guys up and what have you. And we saw that last year and I'd like to see that this year. So I'd like to see those five guys. And then when Philip comes in, you know, I, <clears throat> I said during the game, Chance Lytle's a guy you got to keep on the field somehow. Uh, you know, now I think Philip has definitely got to take that tackle spot back from him, but it's a good, it's a good problem, I guess, to have, you get, you got all those really big guys, where are you going to play them? Um, so we'll see what Rod does with it. Jay Lee Stacks was out there for as a lead blocker on three of those touchdown runs. I think I already know the answer to this question, but but does your love for line play extend to fullbacks? Well, let's see. So I love line play and I love linebackers and I love fullbacks and tight ends. So yeah, absolutely. And and I'd go back, you know, <clears throat> I was there at CU when we went, went to the wishbone, which features a, a fullback, but in a very different role than the traditional fullback. What we're seeing uh, from Jay Lee so far is really traditional eye formation, ISO, off-tackle, get him isolated with a a linebacker and let him take him out, and it was beautiful to me to watch. There was one one of those those touchdown plays off the left side where he got outside and he just pushed that linebacker all the way halfway back into the – end zone. And then, uh, I can't remember who, I think it was Ray at that point who also, um, pushed his guy back. And so I love the fullback. You're not going to see a steady diet of, of I formation fullback lead type type of plays in 2021. But, you know, when you spread things out and you open them up and they have to cover your receivers and they can't put extra guys down there, Putting him in there from time to time is going to make a big darn difference because he is a super effective blocker. I was kind of hoping to see him, you know, in a one back, one of those short yardage plays, one back. Let's give the big man the ball, see him run over people. 
I hope yeah. that's in the offense because I'm hoping to see that. I asked Jer- Jerk Broussard after the game about Jaylee Stacks, and he says, you guys don't even know that he can really tote the rock too. And uh, so you guys are going to see that at some point in the future. So yeah. I think based on uh, what uh, Jerk said there, I expect Jay Lee to get into the end zone at some point this season. Yeah. Well, four of those, you know, four, four of those touchdowns and he had the lead block. And I go back to last year, I think it was Arizona. I did a, a game, a film room on it where he was a lead blocker on two of those plays uh, in that game as well. So, I mean, in a very limited number of games, he's played set, what, seven games. He's got the touchdown block four or five times already. Yeah, and, two in the Arizona game and then three on – yeah, he was not in when Deion Smith scored his touchdown, but he was on, in on the other ones. Right. What are your overall thoughts on Chris Wilson's first game as a defensive coordinator? I, I want to keep this short, though, because I, I think you you talk too much about a game against UNC. You're overanalyzing things because right. obviously they're not going to be super aggressive with blitz packages in that football game. Right. And I think I, I think it was a, I think it was a good first game for them. They, they, they saw some people play, uh, saw some guys step up and, and see that they could play. Um, <clears throat> you know, for the most part, they were fairly dominant outside of a couple of drives uh, in both the pass and the run. They didn't give up any, you know, super long plays down there, downfield, um, you know, where they got where they had a little trouble sometimes with the screen. And then um <clears throat> UNC had an effective play where they would roll the quarterback out and then they'd have a guy in that sort of mid zone and make that linebacker choose where he's going to cover that guy. He's going to come. And the very first play of the game, they got uh, first down off of that play because um, Quinn Perry was indecisive. Now, later in the game, they ran the same play and Jack Lamb was in there and, and he, he was not indecisive. He went after the quarterback and his closing speed. I had to watch it again three times because like, I couldn't believe how fast he got to the quarterback and he broke that play up. So there again, I'm wondering why that guy was on the sidelines. We got to see more of Jack Lamb. But uh, I thought it was effective first game and I'm happy with it. And I think they can build off of it. I think some guys stepped up like Lamb and, and um, Guy Thomas really showed me something. And uh, so I'm, I'm pleased with it. You mentioned Nico Reed making a couple nice plays late in the game. 11 true freshmen saw action in the game. 17 total buffs made their debut on Friday night. Did any of those other freshmen stand out to you? Uh, the obvious answer here is Chase Penry, right? That was a really nice third down catch he made. Beautiful, beautiful catch. And, and you know, not afraid to go. I mean, he knew he was going to get hit. Knew he was going to get hit and went up and got it anyway. So I was re- I really loved that one. And then Kalen Moore had a couple really nice plays in there too. But, man, Nico Reed was the guy, both in coverage and then coming up to force the tackle, he, 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 he I, I had a note where he just obliterated some guy. I can't remember if it was a short pass or a run, but he came up and made that tackle and just took his feet out from under him. So Nico Reed really jumped out of me. Keelan Moore had the holding call against him. It was good to see him bounce back a couple of plays yeah. later with a nice PBU. I mentioned Tyron Taylor had kind of had a missed assignment. Those oh, were meaningful then, snaps for those guys. It, the right. score was out of reach, but that, that is stuff that, Already Tyron Taylor has something he can learn from. Kaylin right. Moore does as well. And Nico, you know, builds a little confidence out fr- from that and experience. They were, and they were still playing their starters and still trying to score. So it was real game time. And I, and I think I would be remiss, you know, the, the, the newer, kinder, gentler Maximus. I got to say Cole Becker, man. That guy can kick. 
Because then didn't he didn't he take didn't he almost have a fifty two yarder and hit the upright fifty three yarder hit the crossbar and I mean you watch that I mean, you're talking inches and it was kind of the way the ball hit it too because sometimes you see it hit the crossbar and had kind of have the momentum to take it over and it was so close right yeah so you know and he he was he was aces on his extra points really did he do the kickoffs too I wasn't I didn't he did yep yeah but we consistently got him into the end zone. So I'm very happy with him too. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there was anything else notable from those true freshmen, and I, I would imagine some of them will end up playing four or less games just to be able to preserve that red shirt. Right, but Trevor. Trevor Woods is an important piece for this team because we've talked about it a lot safety depth. There just isn't a whole lot there, and so he's a guy you might see actually play real big, meaningful. You hope not because that means injuries there. But he's a guy that you might have to rely on quite a bit as you go forward. Right. And, that, and you know, just to switch gears, that, that brings to mind, you know, who else had a really nice game was Chris Miller. Was Had a really good game. Yeah. We're talking and he's, about he's still healthy, William. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, come on now. I'm not knocking on a wooden desk as hard as I can here. Yeah. Returners were obviously a bright spot. Dimitri Stanley, I mean, they should have turned that into more points, those first three returns. And the ultimate uh, sign of respect is UNC was like, okay, we can't, we can't kick to this kid anymore. And that, that, that tells you you're doing good as a returner when the other team uh, is avoiding it and they're, they're kicking it short just so that you don't get a return. Right. You know, yeah. And then Rice also with a nice, really big return. And if we, we have some really real weapons back there probably even more than those two guys. So that was very encouraging. And I think we'll get a couple of touchdowns out of that across the course of the year. Christian Gonzalez got banged up a little bit, but he returned. So the bus were able to get through the season opener without any major injuries. That's a huge deal. Yeah. Just, just to note the injury thing, you know, it was, sure. it was interesting to watch the UNC guys dropping like flies left, right, and center. And, and not really for us. I thought a lot of their stuff looked like cramping, which is probably conditioning issues, but is it too early to say that that's uh, Kyle Turley showing up? Not not Kyle Turley, but Shannon Turley. Yeah, yeah Shannon Turley, Kyle Turley. <laughs> Kyle Turley was an uh, offensive all-pro. That's why he's in my brain, but Shannon Turley, yeah. right. That's such a tough thing because when Maurice Bell goes down with an Achilles injury, I had a couple of people tweeting at me saying, well, I thought, we were, I thought Shannon Turley was going to prevent that. And I'm like, well, I mean, come on, there's – 105 guys on this football right. team. Things are going to happen. You get right. to, there's no injury. Yeah, I want to straddle the line here too much. I, I do think Shannon Turley is going to be great for this program from an injury prevention standpoint, but it's always hard to put your finger right. on exactly when the injuries happen or don't happen. Like how much credit right. should you give either way, right? It, it's it's a tough deal, but CU's program in general, the last 15 years has been more snake bitten than your average program, it's college football. You're going to have injuries every year. But I think you'll see it trending in a direction that, that's at least on the positive side of that ledger with Shannon Turley. Right. Ashad Clayton's uh, putting out some cryptic tweets again. I wouldn't read into that too much. But it had me thinking, William, how would CU football back in the late 80s and early 90s have looked differently if there was social media back then? Well, you know, I was in the locker room for the most part from off and on from uh, 83 to really uh, January 1st of, of 1990. And so when you're inside there, you know everything that's going on. <clears throat> and uh, it would not have been good. 
<laughs> that's uh, what I figured. Because the kind of things, and plus, plus there was no, you know, the, I I want to say back through the late late '80s and early '90s, we were still basically, you know, ESPN was coming along, but we were still basically not into the big cable where there's a million channels and their Facebook and the whole nine yards. And then, so a lot of things happened that people never found out about. They would be pretty surprised about, I think, if they knew. Uh, and you know, a lot of big personalities like Eric Bieniemy and Alfred Williams and, and, and guys like that, who I think if they like, can you imagine Alfred? Alfred can't keep his mouth shut. Imagine him with Twitter. Holy cow, man. I, that would have been, a, that would have been, either super enjoyable or a train wreck or both so <laughs> probably both yeah or you know how about mcchesney as a player you know with with twitter so it's it's, it's i think if we had uh, social media back in the late 80s and early 90s it would have been a very different situation i don't know how if it would have affected us on the field all that much but you know there were some guys they're pretty volatile guys on those teams you know and it would have been interesting to see William, I got a chance to watch a little bit about the Texas A&M uh, Kent State game. Again, I, I didn't want to read too much into that. A&M's not an unbeatable football team. They've got some really, really good players. I'm curious what your expectations are going into this. Obviously, CU is going to be pretty heavy underdogs. They haven't come out with the line quite yet. We're recording before that, but I don't know. I, after watching A&M. I'm certainly not going to pick CU to win this game. I'm not saying that, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that, that CU can compete with these guys. What, what are your expectations? Well, you know, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that, uh, uh, you know, Dan Hawkins beat number five Oklahoma in 2007. So these things happen. Certainly they happen. We've got some dangerous people on our team. Um, I think we had to make some significant improvements on offense, but what I saw from defense looked good. Uh, my expectations, I don't, you know, I, I hate to be the downer, but I don't, I don't expect to win. Um, I kind of, ex what I'd like to see, what I sort of hope to see, I guess is, well, what I hope is a win, of, of course, but what I sort of think is maybe, a, uh, like a Michigan result from 2016 where we're in it early and they kind of pull away a little bit at the end. I think they just have far more depth and, uh, really NFL caliper athletes than us. And at the end, they probably wind up winning by maybe three touchdowns. I don't know. Uh, I think we still have a lot of question marks. And again, harping on the offense, uh, we need to make some improvement there. I, I kept watching the, C, the UNC game thinking, you know, if this UNC secondary, which is not that good, can shut down our receivers the way they did, what's A&M going to do? So that's one of my biggest concerns. We need to sh get that offensive line five set um, you know, I want Max Ray out there at left tackle. I think, uh, I saw enough from, um, from Wiley to think he will be good. I don't think he's ready because he got beat pretty bad on a few things, but I think we need to, one thing for sure, we need to get, we need to get those running backs off tackle and to the outside, quit trying to force it up the middle so much. But, uh, my expectations are, Let's go in there and be competitive. I, I really honestly don't have a feel for how this will play out. I, I My prediction score-wise is probably not going to be very good for CU, but we'll see how the week develops a little bit, things like that. Before we have you sign off here, William, I'm going to include some of our questions that we got for the mailbag in this okay. segment here. You already answered a question from Farhang, asked about uh, starting offensive line that you would prefer. You already talked about that, so let's move I, on uh, to – 
Well, I thought it was interesting the way he worded that. He said the two tackles and right guard, which means he saw what I saw because Roddick at right guard was significantly more effective and Ray at that left tackle was. Yeah. And, and Kutchin and Purcell are pretty established guys. So you're not making changes there. Even if they had a bad game, you're going to roll with them. And I don't know what people think, but I, I, I thought that, uh, um, that uh, Lytle was very effective. I thought he was looked really good. Do you want me to pull up your favorite thing in the world, William? The uh, pro football focus grades? <laughs> I hadn't looked. They're, they had the best offensive lineman. In fact, the highest graded CU player. He only played 19 snaps, but they actually had Casey Roddick graded as the number one player on offense for CU. When he plays, he's, he, you know, there was, I'm going to try and do a film room on one play. I saw one of those touchdown plays where he just brutalized a guy. Um, and K- Casey Roddick and, and I would say people are going to laugh and say whatever they want, but Casey Roddick and, and, uh, Chance Lytle because of their sheer size and able to move at that size are going to play at the next level. You know, I'm not saying they're going to get drafted or whatever, but man, those two guys at that size is really phenomenal what they're able to do. And, and with those two on the right-hand side, you know, what are they both like? They're, uh, you're talking close to 700 pounds in those two dudes on that right side. What's your guess for the lowest graded offensive lineman that, that saw action on Friday? I would guess I would guess Wiley probably based on just I didn't I haven't gone back and studied the game, but I he would was, say him. I would say he, him and then Butch probably. Okay, Wiley was pretty low. It was actually Jared Christian Lichtenhand. Oh, okay. Well, he yeah he he played twenty two snaps. Right. He, he got in late and I didn't really, I, I he, got, didn't. he actually got in the middle of the game for some meaningful snaps as well, but that was pretty quick. You know, you know who looked good now that you mentioned his name, uh, um, Carson Lee got in there at center for the last, at least the last drive and looked really good. I mean, as, as at his size, the way he gets up to the second level was very encouraging to me. All right, let's move along to buff AZ's question here. He asked, will Darian Hagan continue to give carries to all his players and try to keep them engaged, or will he settle on a feature back as he has in the past? This is good trouble. CU hasn't been this deep with quality running backs in decades. Well, based off what we saw Friday night, he'd be a fool to go with one guy because we went four deep and they were all they were all very exciting to watch. I was saying, I was like I, I said, I texted the Nippy 13 at one time. I wish they would get Clayton off tackle the way they had been doing with Fontenot and all of a sudden they did and watch him go. Right. So, uh, and then Dion Smith was electric. He was fun to watch. So I, I think what he did, he got all four of them touchdowns. They got all four, got some carries and keep them all fresh. And so I would continue doing that. You know, I don't, I don't speak for Darian of course, but I think you'd be foolish not to keep doing what he did when he ran for 400 yards. I watched obviously the game for the press box. And then I like to watch the TV broadcast because you kind of pick up different things from both experiences. My favorite moment rewatching the game on, on the television broadcast was after Deion Smith's touchdown and to see the interaction with him and, and Darian Hagan and right. just how emotional Deion Smith was. It, it gave me chills, honestly, because right. just knowing what Deion had gone through, obviously coming back from a second torn ACL, that was a cool moment. It just, you know, Darian has a great relationship with those guys. You could just see it in that moment. That, that was pretty awesome. Right. 
And I think that's a big, you know, I was saying to somebody, it's like, God bless Darian Hagan. Not only does he find good players, he develops them and they play well too. And they, they seem to play their heart out for him. I think there's a really a, a sincere bond between him and his players. And I, you know, I think he's also a guy that he, 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 continues to coach here for lesser salary than some of the other people because he bleeds black and gold. I love the guy. I was asked before the season with a mailbag question, what percentage of carries is Jarek Broussard going to have among the tailbacks? I had predicted that he'd get somewhere in the, the neighborhood of 60% of the carries among the backs. Now against UNC, he only had 37.5% of the carries I think a big part of that is obviously the score of the game and being able to get more guys in there. I do think that percentage is going to creep definitely north of 50% going forward. Um, but to your point, you've definitely got to work in those other guys and you're not going to run Jarek Broussard the way that you did last year. So 37.5% of the carries, that, that number is going to go up. Yeah. And I think that, that, that we have different types of backs. I think, uh, uh, clearly Fontenot and, and, and Clayton are guys who can get an extra few hard yards up the middle and, and got that forward lean and, and carry the ball and fall forward. And they're different types of guys and, and they all bring something different to the offense. I thought it was particularly, I, I saw that uh, Clayton did a really good job picking up blitz a couple times and that's going to help him get on the field as well. Mile high crew asked four questions. His first one was, was it the type of defense UNC was playing or was Brennan Lewis trying to be smart and not take too many chances passing the ball? Or did the receivers have trouble separating? We kind of talked about this already. From what I could tell from my vantage point, it was kind of a mixed bag. Um, but, you know, they, they definitely were adjusting to UNC's defense early in the game. That was, I think, more in the trenches than it was Brennan Lewis, though. Yeah, and I think uh... – for me, I, I couldn't really see the secondary and what the receivers were doing down there. Uh, I was disappointed not to see more tight ends usage, but they had a couple big plays. Um, so I, 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 I can't answer that question because I couldn't really see the coverages that they were using down there, to be honest with you. I don't think that they had a substantial amount of pressure on Lewis. They did a little bit early, but they kind of cleaned that up later on. He asked about the young freshman corners. We, we kind of touched on that. Is there anything else you wanted to add there? No, not really. He also asked your thoughts on Chevrini's play calling this game. We kind of touched on that as well. I mean, I will say, William, what what they do offensively from a play calling standpoint against AM, right? You're, you're going to put under a microscope a lot more than you're going to do when you're trying to hide as much or try to hold back as much and be as vanilla as you possibly can against UNC. Yeah, and I think that's a big important point to take is that, uh, you know, you're going to look if you can't eventually if you can't ultimately do what we did, which is line up and run for 400 yards against UNC and not have to open up the passing game, you got problems. But we did and it worked. And so there really was no reason to throw a whole lot of stuff out there in terms of what we're going to do in the passing game. So I think it's fair to say, let's wait and see. Uh, I, I, I wasn't thrilled with the play calling, but then, you know, as we're saying now, why show much against UNC? So they didn't really have to, and they didn't. I still think I want to see the tight end be a much bigger part of the game. Um, I'd like to see slants be a part of the game and things like that. But I don't think we at all saw uh, any large percentage of our playbook Friday night. 
his last question was asking us for a grade on Chris Wilson following his first game as defensive coordinator. And then also he wanted to know what we think he could improve on uh, uh, kind of along the same lines, right? Right. You're not going to get too crazy with the blitz packages. They did bring Isaiah Lewis on a blitz. They did bring Mark Perry on a blitz. There was one uh, time Nate Lamon blitz and they, that kind of opened up the middle of the field for, for an open UNC guy that, that had a, a decent game there. Um, I, I guess Chris Wilson didn't schedule UNC. So you, you, again, you're going to go, more vanilla defensively. I, I mean, I give him a solid B. Yeah, I was going to say a B. I was going to say a B for sure. I think uh, early on we had a few troubles, but they were per- they were really more, uh, you know, one guy missing an assignment or having a question of what he should do. And then I think we, we really kind of stiffened up and were fairly dominant for most of the game on defense. And again, you're not going to show much of your package against that team. Um and uh, I thought the defense did pretty good. I thought a lot of what they were able to accomplish, UNC, was as, a, as much a result of uh, Dylan McCaffrey and his uh, experience as a quarterback and his abilities and skills. Buff Predictor asked a question uh, with uh, a strong hint of sarcasm here. Which Pac-12 program at least beat their Big Sky opponent after witnessing much worse first game performances by more seasoned QBs? Isn't it way too early to panic? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not panicking. Are you panicking? I was, who's panicking? <laughs> I I don't think uh, many people are panicking, although yeah. during the game, I did have a few people tweet at me that they need to pull Brennan Lewis from the game. And oh Will, William, I'm turning over a new leaf in the past. I would have responded to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that it's just like, clearly, well, clearly, if you're doing that, you just don't know enough about CU football to realize that. Brendan Lewis is going to be their quarterback through this season, no matter what happens. Or, and also I think people, you know, again, 40 years with this game, the ebbs and flows of emotions in a game are crazy. You know, it's, it's great. And then it's bad and it's horrible and it's great. And sometimes you just got to ride it out. That's why I don't look at the board. You know, usually I'm at the game, so I can't look at the board, but I I don't look at the board because people are saying crazy stuff and you're like, just got to wait and see what happens, man. So I'm not panicked by any means. I still think we're a bold team and we'll see what happens. We see, we saw, you know, a lot of, a lot of teams are sitting in worse positions than us right now. Taser 94 asked, what are the five keys to beating Texas A&M? Oh boy. Well, well, you got to start with, you got to start with discipline, right? I mean, you can't have more more penalty yards and passing yards than have any chance against A&M. Right. And I would turn that around and say, you know, you know, UNC maybe had better chance in this game if they had more discipline and didn't have silly penalties. Right. But uh, um, I would say so that, yeah, first key to beating A&M is, is uh, discipline. I think the second thing would be intensity, you know, and that got to want to have it. Quite frankly, number three, A&M's got to not play a great game. I think some, to some extent, if we if we if we see AM's best game, we're not beating them. So to, to me, to some extent, one one key would be AM not playing their best game. I think four is being healthy for the game, which we are, you know, knock on wood that nothing happens during practice this week. Um, and then I think five is to is to is whatever we held back on offense, I'd like to see it work and get those get those wide receivers and tight ends really involved in the game right from the start. Um, nail down your your starting guys. I think the coaches probably watched a lot of film since that since Friday night's game and have made some personnel decisions as a result. 
and we'll probably see that. Uh, so yeah, I would say um, number five to me is just getting that that offense opened up a little bit, and probably on defense, I'd like to see more pressure, which I think we were very vanilla about that on Friday night. But I think we'll probably dial up a whole lot of different stuff come this Saturday. Yeah, I had uh, better discipline, number one. Number two, get creative, which kind of falls in line with what you're talking about there. Any any tricks? Or, there's nothing to hold back this week. So you got to – Yeah. Uh, number well, three, I had I had get, get Brendan Lewis comfortable back there. Whatever right. passes early in the game that he's been the best at since preseason camp started, even going back to spring ball, you want to get him uh, getting confident throwing the ball a little bit early in the game. And I actually had to settle on five and start Max Ray, part of my thing. So I agree with you there. Yeah, Max Ray and, and Casey Roddick, I think, gives you your best five uh, without uh, Philip being around. But and this, yeah. this to me, this to me is Terrence Lang needs to put it together. And, and Jalen right. Sami, we saw him have a, a good opener. Neem Rodman, this is a game for those guys. They really need to to come out and play their best brand of football for for CU to have a chance in this game. Yeah, they have to. They have to. If not control the front, they at least needs to be a stalemate. Anything so, else to add there? You, you kind of broke well, it in your five. It kind of rolls into that. The next question, I think, if you want to go to the scripting plays, but I think I think what well, I'd like to see the tight end be used here, as we're talking about, as a, I think even during preseason, Durrell said something to that effect that 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 Russell is a safety blanket for the quarterbacks. And, and so they need to start. Montana Lamonius Craig is that, that that's my, guy Oh my right God. There. Yeah. That, that I forgot. I forgot to mention, but he really had it coming out as a receiver. I thought he looked great. That touchdown was gorgeous. Yeah. So I, are you, that, are you hopping, uh, hopping aboard? I'm, I'm driving the, the MLC hype train here. Well, you remember he was my favorite guy in that class, but I wanted him as a safety. Yeah. So you either still, way, you okay with them catching balls now? I mean, it's not, it's one touchdown catch. I'm not trying to get too ahead of myself, but uh, just like you, I love that kid coming out of high school. Yeah. And he, I mean, he played on a team that went 0 and 10 his junior year. Had he played on a team that had some, some success his junior year, he was a, he would have been a blue chip recruit coming yeah, out. Yeah. Four high or five star guy. I mean, I look at him and he's, 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 uh, you know, Tedrick all over again, Shidobe, Shidobe, he's, he's, Ronnie Lott potentially at safety. I mean, the kid as a, at a safety in high school was just phenomenal. So it just kind of shows you the, the flaw in the whole star system that it's too he yeah. heavily weighted on junior season. Remember, right. Braden Huffman Dixon had a pretty good junior season. Dylan right. Thomas, a receiver that signed with CU a handful of years ago, was a four star guy because of his junior year. Neither of those guys did anything their senior year of high school, and they still maintained pretty high. They they moved down the the California rankings a little bit their senior year, but not enough. And Montana Lamonius Craig got a little right. bump, but not enough. It, again, too much of this stuff is based on junior season in high school. Right. Kind of crazy. Yeah. Was the Dylan Thomas that, that was a receiver for UNC the same Dylan Thomas? No, because that, that Dylan Thomas was from Texas. That's a long time ago. Okay. Uh, and yeah, uh, the I Dylan Thomas that signed with CU uh, came out of uh, Santa Fe Springs in California. Yeah. I don't know what happened to him. And I don't think Braden Huffman Dixon ever landed anywhere. Right. So. Yeah, I've, that's one guy I had listed to talk about that was super exciting to me. MLC. MLC. Yeah, actually, the Dylan Thomas that was playing for UNC, he, he started out at TCU. Okay. Big kid. He sure looked yeah. the part. Right. 
And then their, their other receiver that was out there a lot, Cassidy Woods, he, he's the receiver that was at Washington state. And if he's suing, uh, Rolovich, I think, right. Isn't he, that he was the guy that yeah, for- like opted out of COVID and then, uh, Rolovich had those comments about him that, that got public and Rolovich is kind of quickly on the hot seat up there in Pullman. And, and a lot of it's uh, his own doing. Yeah. I think, I don't think that's going to have a happy outcome up there on a, on a somewhat different note. I was, I was, you know, the, the running back for UNC, um, can't remember his name, but he also came from Michigan transfer from Michigan. True Wilson. Drew Wilson, right. And he's all, he's from, I think he's from Dearborn or something like that from Michigan. And I was joking with a buddy of mine who went to UNC. I was like, that kid grew up, spent his whole life in Michigan, transferred out to UNC. And the first morning probably got up and said, what is that smell? What is this place? <laughs> I'm not going to join, join you in the Greeley slander. I, I met my wife there and uh, it's only on certain days that you smell that. Well, I was born there, so I think I'm entitled. <laughs> okay. You know, but going forward, UNC's got some players. I, I don't, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to finish last in the big sky. I guess I, I don't know enough about the big sky to have great analysis right. here, but they're, they're going to win some football games. They'll win some games. Yeah. I, I, I still don't think they're a good team. And I, you know, I have some thoughts about their coaching staff and we'll just leave that alone. But I don't think I don't think that I, I would not spin this game as they were a lot better than people thought. They weren't any better than I thought. I'm the last guy that needs to be coming out with fashion advice, but uh, Ed McCaffrey with the visor and, and kind of the mop of hair coming over it, he, he's got to change his look there. Yeah, yeah, that's like not a, good. That's not good for recruiting, Easy Ed. Like a spur or throwback or something. I don't know. It's not a good look, but William. That was good stuff. I think we went even longer than I was anticipating uh, sometimes when we get talking see football. Now we actually have games to talk about. It's a lot easier to, yeah. to run long, yeah. right? Yeah. Did you want to do that last question that you sent me? The RJAC question? Yeah. I thought you had kind of touched on it. RJAC3 asked, if you were scripting plays for the first drive for the Buffs, what kind of plays would you dial up? Well, I was saying that during the game, you know, I was watching, they kept trying to go between the tackles early on, but where those backs are really effective is those off tackle plays and get them out into space. So I would start the game with, with those running backs hitting off tackle. And then I would be thrown to the tight end, send those, you know, let those wide receivers take the top off, run them deep and then drag the tight ends underneath them on, on short plays like that. And let Brendan Lewis get two or three throws in where he gets his confidence up, you know, and then the other thing I would say is what was very open to me was running backs coming out of the backfield. were not getting covered. So I would fit that in there as well, but I would get those guys going off tackle left off tackle, right. See what they do with it, you know, and then drop one into a tight end and, and things like that. And just really high percentage, uh, quick hitting sort of things like that to get a tempo going and get that offense believing in itself. All right. Can we get you on the podcast again next week, no matter what happens, uh, no matter how pretty or ugly it gets against the Aggies? Yeah, for sure. You just got to give me a day to, to recover. Okay. All right. Sounds good, William. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you very much. You've got mail. All right. Let's finish up the podcast with some more questions in the mailbag. Colorado asked, do you think that CU was looking ahead to the A&M game? With no film on UNC, would it make sense they are studying film of a bigger opponent? When you say looking ahead 
that has a negative connotation in the sense that CU didn't take UNC seriously, and I don't think that's the case. But I, I can tell you that preparation for Texas A&M began before this weekend. They were looking ahead to A&M, uh, but not in a, a sense that they're overlooking UNC. But yeah, I mean, how much Valor Christian film are you really going to break down, right? So they were definitely doing stuff with A&M leading up to this weekend. I think where you know you're going to have some trick plays and stuff like that. Obviously, you're going to hold that back from a UNC and try to beat them straight up. Ellie Buff asked from the press box, "Did our receivers and tight end have separation?" I kind of mentioned this earlier during the segment with William. It was kind of a mixed bag. There, there definitely were some guys that that Brennan Lewis missed, and he admitted that after the game. It's something that you hope he, uh, he gets better at. But I mean, there's veteran quarterbacks that are going to miss guys. It's the vantage point from the press box, it's a lot easier than when you're down on the field under pressure. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to watch a football game from, from field level, but there's a reason that most offensive coordinators are up in the box. You obviously can see the field a lot different. It will be interesting to see how Brennan Lewis progresses as a quarterback in, in terms of being able to go through those progressions and being able to make better reads. Uh, that was something that even he admitted that he had missed some guys in the game. Troutman5 asked, do you think JT Shrout was leading the quarterback competition before getting injured? It was really close. I was starting to have the gut feeling that JT Shrout was going to win the quarterback job. That's not to say that's definitely how it would have played out had JT Shrout not gotten hurt. But again, really close. I think Shrout, if you put a gun to my head, and asked me who I thought would have won that competition. I probably would have gone there, but again, it was there was no clear separation between those two guys when that injury occurred. Brett MCQ asked, the game went as you predicted with the Buffs struggling in the first half and then running away with it in the second half. Were there any surprises from the offense, defense, and or special teams that maybe you weren't expecting going into the game? Personnel-wise, there was only one thing that surprised me, and that was when Jared Christian Lichtenham went into the game before mop-up duty. I knew that uh, he had gotten a lot of reps, obviously, in the spring, and, and they liked how he was progressing. I didn't quite know he was to the point where he would be part of a rotation on the offensive line. Uh, and going forward, they maybe not part of that, but that was the one thing personnel-wise that surprised me. And then again, they're going vanilla against UNC, so so nothing really surprised me there. AZ History Buff 13 asked, I dare you to tell us not to overreact to the game so we can have a meltdown on the board again. I didn't tell anybody not to overreact to the game. I just predicted that CU would come out slow and that would happen, and that's what happened. Uh, fan is short for fanatic, so they're certainly uh, not going to tell anybody that they can't react however they want to watching a game. And yeah, there, there are certain things that you wish CU would have done better in the opener, but uh, 35-7, to 7, especially when you look at what happened to some other Pac-12 teams, uh, you shouldn't pr- spend too much time freaking out about it. Um, and, and we'll see what happens against A&M this, this coming Saturday. Aaron Lott 303 asked, did we intentionally keep starters off the field to get them healthy for next week and avoid injury? Looking at the offensive line with Ray and Roddick and defense with Robert Barnes and Lamb. I was there and don't recall 
these guys seeing much action, which I found really odd. Wally got beat easily a few times at left tackle, and it made me wonder why we weren't playing our best positional players on both sides. Just wondering if it was a strategy and gamesmanship for next week. Also, do you feel we kept it as vanilla as possible on both sides with the play calling just doing enough to get by? It doesn't bother me after some of the Pac-12 action we've seen on Saturday and other Power 5 teams being challenged by Group of Five and FCS schools. Just want your perspective on how simple we kept it. Thanks as always, Adam. So Nate Lamon was out there for pretty much every meaningful snap, if not every meaningful snap. So it's not a situation where they were um, keeping certain guys on the sideline because they wanted to preserve them. But the guys that you mentioned there, Ray and Roddick, well, Ray was injured throughout much of the preseason. Roddick didn't get cleared medically until right before camp. So he was working rust off. Defensively, you mentioned Robert Barnes. He re tweaked his groin injury. He was in uniform and participated in pregame. So uh, I would expect Robert Barnes will be back at some point, probably soon, maybe against AM. So th- there were issues with those guys and reasons that none of them started. Now, as we talked about with William earlier in the podcast, Ray and Roddick seem to play well. So I would personally be surprised if they're not starting against AM. Barnes, again, I think it comes down to just that uh, soft tissue injury he's dealing with and, and how that feels going into next week. Jack Lamb, he's not 230 like he's listed at uh, on the on the depth chart on the roster, probably closer to 215. Uh, he did play on special teams and got out there late. Um, anxious to see how they use him going forward. We didn't see Marvin Ham really out there much at all either, and he was uh, listed atop the depth chart at his linebacker position. So I think holding back had more to do with play calling in terms of you're not going to want to have to get too creative against UNC. You want to beat them straight up and save that stuff for a better opponent. In terms of the personnel, I don't think it was holding them back because of that. I think it's because Ray Roddick, you know, they were coming back, showing rust. Jake Wiley, we heard really good things about him during camp and, and kind of wanting to reward a guy that was out there for every preseason practice. So, uh, that's my answer there. I think we've gone long enough in this podcast. Again, like I said, we're going to try to get this up early each week, whether that's on Sunday or Monday. Ryan Miller is going to be participating in a lot of these podcasts as long as it works with their schedule. Hopefully we can get William on board as well to be participating in most of these podcasts. It was great to catch up with both those guys, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. We'll see. Colorado can put up a fight against the Aggies next Saturday in Denver. Thanks for tuning in.